Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, together in the name of Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, and I want to read from verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He's writing from a prison cell, by the way, uh, and he's writing to the Philippian church. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. And so, Father, we thank You for the gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. And Father, just the fact that we've gathered together to, to worship together, to hear your word is already powerful, Lord God. We love you, Lord God. We want to know you in a greater and a deeper way. Let there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation here today, even as I share this word. And, and Father, I just pray that um, there would be nothing in me that would hinder this word, bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom, Lord God to speak the Word of God and to hear the Word of God, that we would understand the spirit of your Word today, accomplish the purpose for which this Word is being sent, I pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're in a series entitled uh, Building a Spiritual Hedge. Uh, the concept for the series comes out of the book of Job. Job was a great man of God. And God says to Satan, have you considered Job? Uh, when God says, have you considered him? Uh, he's not just saying, have you sent him a card lately? Uh, he's not just say, saying, have you sent him a text lately? Um, have you considered him? Have you considered coming against him, sending him through a trial? The enemy said, I have considered him. Well, he didn't say that exactly, but uh, he's saying, you know, I have thought about some of that, but have you not put a hedge around him? and his household, and everything he has. This verse has so much uh, to say to each and every one of us. First of all, it talks about the reason for the hedge. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We talked about the hedge has two purposes. One is to protect us from harm, but it's also so that whatever is inside the hedge can flourish. And this verse also speaks to us about three hedges. It speaks about the personal hedge, the family hedge, which we looked at last week, Lana spoke about. But today we're going to look at the third hedge. That's the possessions hedge. The Bible says, have you not put a hedge around everything that he has. You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks, herds are spread throughout the land. Question for us is, how do we build a hedge around our lives that enables the work of our hands to be blessed, that what we have flourishes, and so we have more than enough? Interestingly, the Bible has a lot to say about how we handle our possessions and our money. 
Jesus taught more about money than any other topic than the king, than, other than the kingdom of God. Uh, he, he spoke about uh, money more than heaven or hell, lust or sin, anger or forgiveness. And the question for us is, why did Jesus speak so much about money? He didn't do it because he needed money. He had plenty. Jesus was essentially homeless. He didn't actually have a home of his own, but he was, uh, was well looked after by the people that he traveled with. Jesus didn't need money. It's not that Jesus spoke about money because he was fundraising to kind of, you know, pay for his, his salary or whatever. Jesus spoke about money because he understood how powerful money can be. That regardless of what we have or don't have, few things have the power to reveal what is in the heart, to capture the human heart, to deceive the human heart like money. Few things have the capacity to, to, to reveal what is inside of the heart or to, or to deceive the human heart like money. Paul says to Timothy, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not that money is, a, is, the, is the root of evil, it's the love of money. And he says this in Timothy, which I kind of love this verse. He says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. They've, they, they've, they've fixed, uh, they've, they've taken their, their eyes off of the Lord and, and they've eager for money, pointing their, their affections and passions towards money. And as a result, they've wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with all kinds of griefs. And Jesus, knowing this, talks often about how we should use our money. It's never the money that's the problem. It's always our attitude towards it. Money presents like a God. It says, I can make you happy. I can make you feel secure, safe, and confident. And while all of us would say, we don't believe any of that, we spend most of our lives trying to get as much as we can. We buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't like with money we don't have. How true is that? Come on, church. Are you with me this morning? I know it's that sensitive topic. I know that we're touching something very powerful, close to the heart. It's almost sacred uh, because no other subject in church has the capacity to make us feel tense. Anybody feeling tense this morning? Come on. All right, don't tell me. It's like this wall comes up and the gloves come on. Uh, I know where this is going. Some people are thinking... You want my money, but you're not going to get it. So let me help you here today. First of all, let's relax. Everybody just relax. Take a deep breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Oh. Number one, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He actually does not need your money. And this church doesn't need your money either, by the way. Thank God this generous people in this church. God has blessed us beyond measure. I just want to share a few thoughts that I pray are going to help you and me experience what Job experienced. I, I just want to share a few thoughts around Scripture. I want us to unpack some thoughts out of the Bible that are going to help us experience what Job had. The enemy said about Job, you've blessed the work of his hands. How many people would like the work of their hands to be blessed? So that... His flocks and herds are spread. How many people would like their flocks and herds to be spread? <laughs> you know that it's not speaking about animals there. It's speaking about more than that. I want you to know that God wants to bless you. 
I want you to know that, 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 that God wants to bless you and God wants to bless the work of our hands. He wants to bless the work that we actually do so that we can prosper, not so that we can build our own empires. He wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to many people. And when we, get a, when we get a picture of that, when we get an understanding of that, it actually frees us in this whole area of, of, of finance and of money. Question is, how do we build a possessions hedge? So let me give you a few thoughts here that, you know, as I, as I was kind of thinking about this subject, a few thoughts came to mind I just want to share with you. The first thing that we need to do if we're to build a possessions hedge is to put God first. As we read in the first chapter of Job, it tells us that he had lots of animals, sheep, camels, and the lot. And that doesn't mean a lot to us today, but this guy was wealthy. This guy was rich. He was wealthy. He had, he had a lot. What we also read in the first chapter is the character of Job. He was blameless, upright, feared God, turned away from evil, a man of prayer. He was a servant. He had a servant heart. God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? This guy was no ordinary guy. He was wealthy, but he was also a man of character. He was a man of God. And I believe there's a very clear association between his relationship with God and the blessing of God that was upon his life. We cannot separate our relationship with God with our, with our finances. Some people do. Some people kind of say, God, I'm happy to worship you, but don't touch my money. Don't tell me how to use my money. Talk about anything else in my life. Pastor Joe, preach on anything, but don't preach on money. There's an old saying in Italian that says, we are brothers in faith, but not of prosciutto provolone. <laughs> sounds a lot better in Italian, but anyway. In other words, happy to call you a brother or sister in Christ, but I ain't giving you my prosciutto or my provolone, mate. Don't touch that. Lana said last week, the first thing we, we do to build a family hedge is by building a personal hedge. That's also true of building a possessions hedge. Where it all begins, it begins with our relationship with God. As we get closer to God, it affects everything about our lives. As we draw nearer to God in prayer and, and reading His Word, belonging to the family of God, as we get closer to God, as we, as we focus on developing intimacy with God, getting to know God in a greater and a deeper way, it starts to affect how we live our lives. It affects how we relate to people. You can't be close to God and, um, and, and hate someone, not forgive someone. Th those two things do not work together. You, you can't, you can't, you can't, I know some people do. Some people are, oh, praise the Lord. And then, and then they make sure they're sitting on the other side because they've got someone sitting on the other side of the church that they don't like. <laughs> and I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to cross paths with them. The closer we get to God, God begins to speak to us about how we relate to people. He begins to say to us, hey, one of the things we need to do is we need to forgive Oh, but, 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 but it's hard, God. I, I, that's exactly right, it's hard. But as we're in the presence of God, we start to unpack the wound and we start to unpack the hurt. And not only that, but God gives us the grace to cross the congregation and go and say hello to someone. Mm. Closer we get to God, it affects how we think. Holy Spirit starts to speak to us about our thinking. Holy Spirit starts to speak to us about how we speak. 
Come on, how many, how many times have you said something and you've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, really? Come on, it happens to me continuously. I shouldn't have said that really. That, that, makes, that makes me look bad. Uh, <laughs> how, how many times you've said something and go, really, Joe? Oh, that was really good, Joe. Ooh, amazing, Joe. It's the Holy Spirit speaking. It all, it, and, and, and our relationship with God also affects our relationship with money, how we make it, how we use it, and how we spend. The Holy Spirit starts to speak to us about what we have, how we make it, how we use it, what we do with it. Let me tell the story about Bill Johnson uh, and uh, many years ago, young family, new model car comes out. It's always the new model car. Uh, and uh, he can't afford it and doesn't really believe, you know, just, just can't afford it. It's way above him. And, uh, um, you know, and he knows it's, it's the wrong thing. But he goes, you know what? I know I shouldn't buy this car, but you know what? I'm going to go for a test drive. So nothing wrong with a test drive. It's free of charge. Just going to take the car for a test drive. He gets his family in the car, go to the dealer, get in the car, test drive. The kids are in the back. And while, while they're doing, going for the test drive, one of the kids in the back starts singing, be careful, little eye, what you see. <laughs> or be careful, little eye, what you see for the father up above. He's looking down below. Or be careful, little eye, what you see. Is that how the song goes? Something like that? It's a kid's song. How many people remember the song in Sunday school? How many people remember that? Everybody over 16. <clears throat> old. <laughs> uh, I remember it. Um, and what, what was happening there? And he goes, oh, you know, he just took the car straight back to the dealer. Get out of the car. Let's go home. You know, what was happening? The Holy Spirit was speaking to him. What are you doing? You don't need this car. What are you doing? The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The closer we get to God, God begins to speak to us about how we use our money, how we make our money, and, 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 and what we use it for. Great example of this in the Bible. Jesus is walking towards Jericho. As he's walking, he sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a cheat. He's a dodgy tax collector. And Jesus says, I'm coming home to have lunch with you. Zacchaeus lets him come to his home. And after lunch, Zacchaeus says this, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Key to getting our finances in order is to put God first. Here is a guy, Jesus says, salvation has come into the home today. Salvation has come into, he too is a son of Abraham. And, and how, how did Jesus know? How did Jesus know that he was saved? Because it started to affect how he used his money. His money was affected by his relationship with God and not in a negative way, in a positive way. Suddenly, as soon as he meets Jesus, he thinks about all the people that he's cheated. And the first thing he says, I need to get this right. We put God first. If we're going to build a possessions hedge where God is going to bless us and experience the blessing of God, we've got to do it God's way. We, we, we don't do it man's way, we do it God's way. And sometimes I know, I know, I know that as Christians, we start to think, well, you know, there's some loopholes. You know, what I'm doing isn't wrong, but it's wrong. And we know that it's wrong. 
Sometimes we can find some shortcuts in the way we use money and so on. It's not wrong. You know, if you look at it, it's okay, but it's wrong. Are we serious? I mean, who are we trying to kid when we do those kind of things? And it's making a mockery out of God. If God can bless me, God can bless me in the right way. I mean, I remember something happened three or four years ago and there was this opportunity to do something. It was a little bit, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was gray. You know, how many people know there are some gray things which you, you can almost convince God that it's okay, but deep down, you know, it's wrong. And as I was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, I said, no, it's wrong and I ain't doing it. I don't care. I'm not doing it. I don't care. I'd rather lose money than do the wrong thing because we serve a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and I know that God can bless. Key to getting our finances in order is put God first. We could wrap it up right here. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be given to you as well. The context of that scripture is worry about money. Jesus is saying, don't worry about clothes, about what you eat. He says, I clothe the lilies. I take care of the sparrow. I can count the numbers of hair on your head. <laughs> mm. He says, don't you, don't you think I can take care of you? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You focus on seeking God. You put God first and seek after right standing with God. That's what I want. And all these things shall be added unto you. What does all these things mean? It means everything else will be added unto you. God will bless you. God will bless your home. God will bless you. God will bless you. God will bless you. But put him first. Delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's a biblical principle. Do things God's way and everything else follows from that. For to build a possessions hedge begins with connecting with God. The second thing we need to do for to build a possessions hedge is learn contentment. As we read in our text, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you were able to re renew your concern for me. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I can do all things through him in Christ who strengthens me. What Paul was saying was whether I'm in poverty or wealth, abundance or suffering, it doesn't change how I feel because I have learned something. I've learned the secret of contentment. I've, found to, I've learned to find my joy in Christ, not in what's happening around me. Man, that's a powerful principle to learn. It's a powerful principle to learn in life that our joy is not dependent by what's happening around us, what's happening to us, that the source of our joy is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Here's the thing about contentment. For many of us, contentment is just around the corner. I mean, we're not content right now, but it is just around the corner. When I get this or when I get that or when I do this and when I do that, then I'm going to be content. Reality is contentment is slippery. Just when you think you have it, it's gone. It's gone. Uh, talk about cars. I bought my car about, I don't know, I don't even know. But anyway, maybe six, seven years ago, bought 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 my uh, car and uh, 
uh, I was content. You know, put a case to Lana. I said, Lana, listen, you know, this is the one. <laughs> I had pictures on the fridge, you know, all sorts of things. Anyway, um, I think I said, this is the, you know, in my head, this is the one, this is the one. Once I got this one, that's it. This is the car of cars and I'm done. I'll be content. And then this week I was in the, had to get my car serviced. I was in the showroom and there she was. <laughs> the new model. <laughs> and now I am discontent. Richard Swenson, in his book Margin, says this, half a century ago, my grandfather might reasonably have predicted that advances in affluence, technology, education, and entertainment would bring a commensurate increase in contentment. But such has not been the case. If we're going to build a strong possessions hedge, if we're going to break the grip of mammon, which is the spirit behind money, if we're going to have a heart that is rightly ordered towards finance, one of the big questions we need to ask, one of the big questions we need to stop and ask ourselves is when is enough enough? Someone said, if you want to be wealthy, just lower your expectations. And that's easier said than done because we live in a world that's bombarding us with messages like you need this and you need that and what you have is ugly and what you have is old and what you have is blue. Didn't you know the colour this year is green? And if we buy into that, we will be forever chasing the wind. We'll be forever chasing contentment. Oh, I'm close. It's just around the corner. It's just around the corner, but we never get there. There's a machine out there that's working hard at making you and me feel unhappy with what we have. They sit around tables. We've talked about this before. They sit around tables and, and, and they work out creative ways to make you feel like you need this thing. Like this thing here is the one that's going to just get you over the line. And finally, you're going to be happy. John White in his book, The Golden Cow, speaks of the, evidence, uh, of the advent of air conditioning in cars. He says, before the arrival of air conditioning, no one was discontented to drive in their car without it. Even though the heat was sweltering, people were miserable from the heat and they complained about the heat, but they didn't hate their cars. We loved our valiant VEs, didn't we? Because air conditioning didn't exist, but when it did, expectations began to rise, perspectives changed and discontent arrived. And suddenly... We're not happy unless there's air conditioning in our car. Thanks be to God for air conditioning in cars. Uh, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have air conditioning in cars or drive nice things. It's not about, it's, I don't want this message to be a message of guilt where you feel guilty for, for just being here. I don't want, that's not what this message is about. But I am saying maybe in some areas we need to lower our expectations. Maybe we need to have a rethink about our money that if we're going to build a possessions hedge, maybe, maybe we need to just change the way we think about money and, and lower our expectations. Because ultimately, we're not going to find joy in what we have. We're going to find joy in other things. We need to learn, like Paul, the secret of contentment. We need to understand that, there, that, that as I said before, there's a spirit behind it. And just like we need to stand against certain ideologies in the world today, which are creeping in, just open your eyes, and you know that there are certain ideologies that are, that are creeping into our system. We need to stand up to the spirit of mammon. Because it's the simple things that make us happy. 
It's the simple things that make us happy. Think about what gives you the greatest joy in your life. Think about, think about what gives us the greatest joy in our life. For me, some of the greatest joys is just sitting down and have a coffee with someone. A good friend, sit down, talk, laugh. Have a meal with some friends and just gather around. What does it cost? doesn't cost anything. You experience joy. When my kids were little, when our kids were little, uh, you know, you take them to sport and watch them play sport on, on, a, on, on, a, on a Saturday. And, and uh, that, that was a joyful experience. Loved it. Go away on holidays with our family and, and, and you know, just, just do stuff together. It's the simple things that bring the greatest joy. We, we need to rethink our whole concept about money because we've bought into the lie that says money can change your life. Money can make you happy. I mean, how much bigger does a TV need to be? I mean, when is enough enough? Where's the line? I mean, we grew up with, uh, I didn't have a television in my hand but until, you, until grade five, just for the record. And the one that we got, I reckon, was this big, maybe a 10-inch. This is about it. That was the first television. Then we got a little bit bigger, about 15 inch. Then they went to 20. How many of you remember those 20 inch televisions, whatever? They were, they were one meter by one meter. You know what I mean? They were just square, these square boxes. And when you bought it, you go, wow, this is amazing TV. Then we went LED. Then we went to 40 inch and then 50 inch. And then now we're, we're, now we're in the range of 60, 70, 80, 100. I mean, when is enough enough? When does it stop? When, when, when do we say it's big enough? When it gets to 200, 300 inch? What about when our whole house is one great big LED screen? Is that where we're going to say, oh, I think it's enough. I think we've reached the line. When is it going to stop, church? When is it going to stop? When is enough enough? Where is the line when it comes to stuff? Paul said to the Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the etern and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The reality is all of us have in one way or another been deceived and taken captive by money. And I think we need to start by accepting the reality of that. Again, some of people are saying, Pastor Jay, you're saying I shouldn't drive a nice car, live in a nice house. That's not what I'm saying. It's not the stuff. It's our connection to the stuff. For some people, they are the car. It's not they have a car. The car is me. The suburb is me. I'm a nobody without the brand. And if that's us, we will spend our whole lives chasing carrots and our hedge, our possessions hedge will get weaker and weaker and weaker. Jesus invites us to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Learn from me. Again, there's the concept of learning. Learn from me, says, says, says Jesus, and you will find rest for your souls. We're going to build a strong hedge. Then we need to find contentment, which is in Christ. I just heard something yesterday, I don't know if I can repeat it well, but, but he talked about a child. A child, you know, a child is a child and, and then things start to shift for the child when they get given toys. They give them something. And then they've then, then, then they got to get a box to put their toys in. My toys. My box. 
And as they get older, the box gets bigger. It becomes a room. Then it's, you know, the little box is not enough. Now I need my room. It's really funny because we, we all have our individual bread. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. Back in the day, I mean, back in my parents' day, I mean, they, lived, they had 10 kids living in one room. You know what I mean? You've got to get our own room. And then as you get older, the room's not big enough. We need a house. And a garage. How many people know we've never got enough room in the house? It doesn't matter how much storage room you've got in the house. It's never enough. You just fill it with stuff. Stuff. And it's never enough. I just, I, just, I just think we need to understand the spirit behind all of this. Because there is a spirit behind all of this. And as Christians, whether we like it or not, we, we, we've, become, we, we've become seduced by this spirit. We need to open our eyes and see it for what it is. Number three, we need to steward what God has given us. If we're going to develop a strong hedge, we need to be, be stewards with what God has given us. Jesus spoke about the parable of the talents. He gave one man five bags of gold, one man two bags of gold, one man one. We know the story. person who has given five earned another five, two another two. To the ones that doubled their investment, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things person who was given one did nothing with it and Jesus called him a lazy servant the issue was not the amount they had it's what they did with what they had the issue for us is the same it's not what we have it's what are we doing with what God has given us why would God entrust us with more if we can't handle the little if we squander the little why would God trust us with more because the principles that apply to a million dollars apply to a hundred dollars. God calls us to be diligent and to steward what he has given us. And this applies to talents, time, all kinds of resources, but it also applies to finance. Pastor Joe, how do we steward what God has given us? The Bible has all kinds of wisdom associated with how we use our money. Here's, here's an interesting one. I don't know, it's a new concept. First of all, I've written these in your notes, by the way, with some scriptures. Number one, we need to work. It's a new concept, I know. But hey, if you want to build a strong possessions hedge, how about working? It's a good start. I know, I understand. It's a different world out there. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. But one of the things we need to do is just learn to work. And then number two, we need to, be, we need to work like we're working for Christ. Man, that's a, that's, a, that's a powerful principle right there. If you only work hard when your boss is watching you, then you don't understand the power of this scripture. We work as if we are working for Christ. He's watching us all the time. And, and you know, the interesting is, is, is this, which kind of people get, get promoted? The ones that get promoted are the hard workers, the diligent workers, blah, 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 blah. And interestingly, the harder we work, the better we work and so on and so on. The boss notices and, and then suddenly you start, to, you start to climb up the ladder, so to speak, and, uh, and, and then your, in, your income increases and so on and so on. How do we build a possessions hedge? Work hard. Work as if you're working for Christ. Avoid debt. Develop a budget. I love Proverbs 27, 23. It says, know the condition of your flocks. It's speaking about budgeting. It's speaking about, okay, how much money do I have? How much is coming in? How much is going out? 
you know, where's it going? What's happening here? What, is, what, is, what does the landscape look like? And I tell you, there's stuff out there, programs out there, courses out there. If you struggle with anything else, with any of this, there's stuff out there to help you through it. Number, number E, invest wisely, be generous, learn to save. And remember, the source of, source of wealth is God. If you want to build a possessions hedge, be diligent, be good stewards of what God has given you. Fourth principle to building a possessions hedge is to remember the tithe. For those that don't know, the Bible encourages us to give 10% to the work of the Lord. A really good strategy that I believe embraces the principles of Scripture. And uh, I remember reading this great book on, on a similar subject. And uh, um, he, he's, <coughs> we give 10% to the Lord, we save 10% and live on 80%. It's a good principle. If you're young and you don't own a house yet, you've got to switch it. You've got to save 80%, live on 10%, and tie 10%. Now, this is where the walls come up and the gloves come on. So let me help you with uh, some of this because it gets worse, actually. Some of you are thinking, oh, the tithe is bad enough. No, it gets worse. Uh, the Bible speaks of three tithes. Just turn to the person next to you and say, oh, my goodness, you've got to be joking. <laughs> First tithe was to, this is all in the Bible, by the way. First tithe was to support the Levites, the priests. Second tithe is an interesting one. It was reserved for the festivals, the parties in Israel. God said to the people of Israel, tithe belongs to the Levites. They were serving God. They, all they did was take care of the temple. They weren't given land and so on and so on. The, 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 the other tribes, the 11 tribes were, were to tithe and support the tribe of the priests who served in the temple. That's all they did. That's the first tithe. Second tithe was reserved for the festivals. God said to the people of Israel, listen really carefully. He said, put aside another, another tenth and this tithe is going to be used for festivals, for celebrations. It was like a Christmas fund, like a, like a, like a slush fund that they were to put aside and use to celebrate the goodness of God. It's pretty amazing. I, I, I've been thinking about this, we're just talking about it with the staff this morning. You know, we don't know how to celebrate uh, in the church. We don't know how to do that anymore. Our concept of God is, is He's up there, He's angry, you know, like He's a killjoy, He's never happy, He's always upset, you know, like, he, you know, last thing where God wants to do is go to a party or celebration or something. That's so not who God is. He established festivals in the calendar of Israel. I think there's over seven of them that the people of Israel were, were to gather together and celebrate and party. And he says to them, make sure you put 10% of everything you have to be able to fund those parties. And I can show you the scripture in Deuteronomy and it's going to kind of make you think. Because God says, listen, Make sure you got money so that you can celebrate well. You know what makes me really angry? What makes me really angry about today is that the enemy has stolen the whole concept of celebration. He's corrupted it so that it's ugly, it's terrible, it's immoral. It's just lost everything that it is. I believe the church needs to redeem the celebrations. I believe the church needs to once again go back to the heart of God that says it is okay to celebrate and there is a right way to celebrate and there is a wrong way to celebrate. And God says to the people of Israel, I want you to make sure those celebrations are well-funded. 
so set aside a tithe for it. It's kind of like we do in families a lot of times. We, we, we put aside money to go on holidays and we put aside money for special occasions and so on and so on. That's what God was saying. That's the second tithe. Third one, every three years they collected another tithe and gave it to the poor. Mm, that's not bad, is it? So when we give, we give for three reasons. It's to support the work of God. It's an act of worship and celebration unto God. Man, you're amazing, God. It's to help those in need. At the core, our giving to the work of God has one main purpose. It's gratefulness to God. Just very quickly, the first time the tithe is mentioned is in Genesis 14, just for the record. Abraham gone to war. He has a great victory. When he comes back, he meets with Melchizedek, his priest. The Bible says this, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Listen to the scripture, Genesis 14, 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Anybody, does that resonate with anybody at all, the bread and the wine? Does, does anybody kind of, does anything come to mind? It's a New Testament concept right here in Genesis chapter 14. He was a priest of God most high and he blessed Abraham. Uh, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth and praise be to the God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham understood something about the power of giving to the Lord and what it represented. God is not interested in our money. He wants our hearts. And when we give, we're recognizing that what we have comes from God. That if I have strength that, it's, that is from God, that everything I have belongs to God, that He's the source of everything good in my life. It's an act of worship. It's a recognition that if I just took another breath, oh, did I create that breath? Did I make that breath? Did I make that breath happen? No, I breathe because God allows me to breathe. God gives me the strength to breathe. And if I have anything, it's by the blessing of God. And so the giving reminds us that it's not all about me, that I am where I am by the grace of God. One of the ways he shows gratitude, Abraham, is by giving a tent to God. Malachi also says, bring the tithe, see what I'll do. I'll open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing on you. I'll protect the pests from devouring your vines and I'll protect what you have and the people shall call you blessed. There's so much promise attached to it. Pastor Job, I don't like it at all. Great, don't give, don't worry, don't worry. One principle right throughout scripture is always give joyfully. And if you feel restricted, if you feel, I don't like it, don't, don't give. God doesn't want it. This church doesn't want it. We give joyfully. We give joyfully. If you want to build a strong possessions hedge, remember the tithe. Our fifth principle to building a possessions hedge is cultivate a grateful spirit. We need to practice the art of gratitude and thanksgiving. Why is gratefulness so important? Because ingratitude blinds our spirit. We never see what we have. We, we, we never see what we've got. We only see what everybody else has. And it robs us of joy. Because we, we never enjoy what we actually do have. Praise God, we have a family. Praise God, we have a home. Praise God, we have a Praise God, we live in Australia. Praise God. I was talking to someone um, last night, African descent, and we're talking about, you know, our countries of origin and the medical systems and, and all the rest of it. And he goes, we, we don't understand in Australia how, how, how good our living standards are here in Australia. Let's be thankful to God. 
David said, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There's so much to be grateful for. Build a, you build a possessions hedge by being grateful and then be generous. It's one of the paradoxes in the Bible. The world says get as much as you can and can as much as you get. And the more you get, the happier you're going to be. Here's the paradox of Scripture. The Bible says give as much as you can and you will be rich. I mean rich and happy. That's the concept of Scripture. Give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together and rolling over, which means a lot. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That's Jesus' words. It's not my words. It's Jesus' words. And those of us that have practiced giving and generosity know that to be true. Listen, one of the things that breaks the spirit of money, one, there's one thing that breaks the spirit of money like nothing else can do. It's learn to give. Learn to give. It breaks it. It says, no, you are not going to dominate my life. No, I'm not going to be your slave. I am not going to be the slave to the spirit of mammon. I refuse. Money is a great servant, but a terrible master. Want to build a possessions hedge, then learn the power of generosity. This week, I don't know, just randomly buy someone a coffee and find out who feels better, the person you bought it for or you. Sometimes just, you know, uh, pay for someone's coffee and they don't even know you're paying for it. Just, just do, some, do some random stuff like that. Just try it. See, see what it does inside of you. It's a spirit of generosity because God is a generous God. For God so loved the world that He gave. Possessions hedge, like the personal hedge and the family hedge, is not built by accident. We need to be intentional. And it's not hard. It's not hard. We build it by putting God first, learning to be content, remembering the tithe, being good stewards, being grateful, generous. And finally, listen really carefully, because it's probably the, the most important one of them all. We build a possessions hedge by getting a vision for the kingdom of God. Didn't, you didn't put that in your notes, but you can write it. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. Without a vision for why we're born, for why we're created, for why we're here on earth, we easily become prey to the things of this world. But when you get a vision for why God has created you, when you put God first, suddenly money is not your master, it's your servant. It becomes a tool like time, like abilities, like gifts to serve the purposes of God. And when that happens, you start to live. Many of us know the story of Oscar Schindler from Schindler's List. He was speaking with a man uh, Itak Stern and he said this is Oscar Schindler speaking I could have got more out I could have got more I don't, I don't know if, I, if I'd have just I could have got more um, Itak Stern said Oscar there are 1100 people who are alive because of you look at them he says if I'd made more money I threw away so much money you have no idea if I just if, if I just but there, there'll, be, there'll be generations because of what you did. I didn't do enough. You did so much. Shinna looks at his car. This car. Garth would have bought this car. Why did I keep the car? Ten people right here. Ten people. Ten more people. 
removing a Nazi pin from his lapel. This pin, two people. This is gold, two more people. He would have given me two for it, at least one. One more person, a person for this, sobbing. I could have got one more person and I didn't. And I didn't. Fortunately, the only thing that gives us clarity, listen really carefully, of what is really important in life is death. When we come to face, when we come face to face with death, our eyes are open and we can see. And that 200 inch television screen means nothing. It means absolutely rubbish. <laughs> and you think to yourself, what was I thinking? So Pastor Joe, what do, you, what do you want us to do? Sell everything? Not at all. Nothing wrong with a nice car, house, kids is good school, leave a legacy. It's all biblical, scriptural. But all of us need to ask ourselves a simple question that I want us to ask ourselves this morning is when is enough enough? When, when is enough enough? Where's the line? Where's the line that we say, you know what? This is it. I'm drawing the line here. Because I want you to remember that God has a plan for your life. And He wants to use you. A plan that's going to blow your mind away. Blow it away. When you get a vision of why God has created you, when you put God first, suddenly money is no longer your master but it is your servant to serve the purposes of God for why God has put you here. It becomes a tool like time to serve the purpose of God. And when that happens, you start to live. I was thinking about Fred Hollows. Fred Hollows is the, 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 guy, the eyes guy, right? He gets a vision of helping people remove cataracts and he gives his whole life to it. Do you think this guy was upset, sad? Miserable? Did he have a miserable life? Oh, given everything for this. He was living life to the full. I just pray that we would get a vision of the kingdom. Get closer to God. As you get closer to God, God's going to start to speak to you about the reason why He created you. And when you get a vision of that, when you get a glimpse of that, then stuff suddenly is not something you serve. It's something that serves the reason why God has placed you right here. And then it's powerful. Pastor Joe, what is it that we need to do? I just want to encourage you to put God first. When, when COVID hit, we stopped taking offerings here at church. As in a bucket, by the way, just, just without with a bucket. You didn't see us take an offering. This I don't even think Chris mentioned it this morning. No, Joe, did you, did you didn't even mention the offering there? I mean, I know things, you know, we need to but tone it down, but turn it off is not what we need to do. And I, lo I love that. I love that. I love it. Because our giving to the Lord should not be done under compulsion. Because God loves a cheerful giver. But with intention, with thinking, with praying, with purpose. This is not just something you stumble into. This is not something that you are coerced to do. It's something that you read the Scriptures and you go, you know what, I understand the principles and that's what I'm going to do. 
You say, I want to be part of what God is doing. We give to this church because I love what God is doing in this place. Man, I love what God is doing in this place. Heard so many stories of people who say, if it wasn't for this church, and it's not the church, it's God, but it's the church, you know, you know what I'm saying. My marriage is still together because of this church. My family is still together because of this church. You don't understand. My life was like this, but I came to church. I gave my life to Christ. You don't understand. This is part of what God is building. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to be part of what God is building and I want to invest in that. If you feel tense and nervous, feel like you're being manipulated, don't give. Don't give. Always give with intention and purpose. And I believe that as we follow the principles of God's Word, we will have a strong possessions hedge. We will flourish and we shall be blessed by the grace of God and for the glory of God. Can I hear an amen? amen. Is that okay this morning? Is that okay? Amen. So stand together. Father, I just thank you for this word. And Father, as, as, we, as we think about the message, there were some pertinent truths that we need to, need to go away with. Just think about. Secret of contentment. Learn to be content. Where is enough enough? Where's the line? What vision do you have for our lives? Lord, I just pray that as we go over, that as we leave this place and chew over the message, I just pray that you would begin to speak to us about what you want to do in and through our lives. Use us for your glory, Lord God. We love you so much, Lord God. We love serving you, love worshipping you, love magnifying you. Be glorified, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great, blessed week. Don't forget Wednesday night. Great service together.